Welcome, welcome, welcome to Strictly JoJo, a podcast dedicated to JoJo's bizarre adventure where every JoJo episode is reviewed by casuals for casuals. My name is Courtney. This is episode 31, and we're reviewing part six, Stone Ocean, The Visitor, part one. As always, there'll be spoilers for this episode and anything that's happened in the JoJo anime, so you've been warned. And here we are. The very last episode for Strictly JoJo for 2021. Don't worry, it's not like our final episode ever. But we are closing out 2021 with the third episode, right? Third episode of Stone Ocean? Yes. And it's a good one. We've got Jotaro. Daddy's come home. He's come to visit. (laughs) My boy is back. Daddy's home. I'm never not going to call him Daddy Jotaro. It's just so funny that he has a child. I think it's a miracle that Jotaro not only found a wife, but also like fathered a child. This is Jotaro we're talking about. He doesn't like people <laughs> except for Holly. I think he, he needed to carry on the Jostar bloodline though. Yeah. Like he was obligated to. And thankfully it wasn't with a dolphin like most <laughs> of the internet thinks he does. Hey, I like to think that he actually does care about people. He's just too much of a Sunday to ever admit that like he he's just a very straightforward kind of guy um like he cares about holly obviously because he goes to fucking egypt um and sacrifice well you know almost sacrifices his life to save her and here you know he fell in love got married had jolene and then wasn't around but we all know why it's because he was being a protective father I think he even mentions in this episode that the Joestar bloodline or like people of Joestar descent have this propensity to always help others or find the good in others. Yeah, because then he says something to the effect that he's proud of Jolene um, when she is willing to help Emporio and, you know, help him which is nice. <laughs> mm-hmm. But before we get into all of that, yes, this is our, our last episode of Strictly JoJo for 2021. It's, um, it's kind of crazy to think back on all of 2021 for this podcast. I mean, we've been doing bi-weekly episodes since we started, but the fact that we actually have Stone Ocean, we, we have it in our hands at the end of this year is a huge surprise to me. As we mentioned before, we just waited so long for even a confirmation that this anime was coming out um, that it's still kind of surreal to me that we we have it. Well, we have a part of it anyway, 12 episodes of it. Yeah, I guess you could say it's a dream, which is in line with, with this this upcoming arc of Stone Ocean. Oh, yeah. For yeah for this episode, I was like, wait, what are you talking about? Yeah, this yeah. episode where they're in a dream. Which, <laughs> I thought you were going to talk about the ED, Distant Dreamer. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Okay, yeah, that too. All, all of this just feels like a dream. Um, but, you know, as it's, we were doing our rewatch, again, the downside, obviously, the upside of it is that, yeah, we, we got our Stone Ocean adaptation finally. Like, we were able to watch it. But I was, I was rewatching this third episode. I kept thinking to myself, is the hype for JoJo dying down? Because we have 12 episodes that are just out in the open. And we've talked about this countless times before about the magic of, of like the, the JoJo fandom kind of dying since we have access to these 12 episodes really early without instead of getting like the, the weekly thing. Um, so that's always going to be that drawback for me is that, yes, it, this is perfect for JoJo fans who love to binge. But now that we've 
gotten our piece of the pie, so to speak. Like we have to wait. We have this waiting game, and I don't know. Yeah, I can feel that the hype's definitely died down. I mean, it's it's still there. We're all excited for the next installment of whatever number of episodes Netflix will will give us, and who knows how long. Um, but the the magic's not there. Well, it's there. It's just not the same. Um, in terms of that weekly anticipation, everyone kind of going through the motion together as a community because we're tied to this release schedule. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's kind of crazy that, you know, we're we're in this weekly schedule, at least for the, the Stone Ocean Review series. Um, I never, I mean, I always anticipated that when a new JoJo part or who knows, like an OVA comes out that we would want to do a, a live review. Um as everything's releasing. So I'm kind of glad we stuck to the schedule of weekly reviews for Stone Ocean, even though we could have arguably done bi-weekly um, because we got episode dumps. But hopefully things time out nicely that by the time 12-ish weeks have gone by um, since the first release of Stone Ocean, that the second release will be coming out so we can continue this this weekly pattern. Because I've, I've been enjoying it. In related podcast news, if you haven't heard yet, Spotify has finally implemented ratings for About damn time. Yeah, for their for their apps. Um, so I think for any podcast page um, or or show page on the Spotify apps in particular on iOS and Android, um, listeners can now leave a star rating for that particular podcast. I think the cri- the minimum criteria to be able to leave a rating is that again, you're on a Spotify app and that you listen to at least 30 seconds of any episode, like 30, 30 seconds in total of any podcast that then opens up the opportunity for you to leave a, um, a rating one through five on that main podcast page, I think just below the podcast description. So if you've been enjoying everything that we've been talking about over you know the last year or so, um, our weekly or bi-weekly rather, um, in-depth reviews of every single JoJo episode, if you've been enjoying the last couple of discussion episodes that we've had, if you've been enjoying the Stone Ocean review series that we've been coming out with weekly, please, please, please leave us a rating on Spotify. It would help us so much. Um, We're kind of slowly building up our ratings there since, again, it is a newly implemented feature. But yeah, we'd love it if you leave us a rating. Yeah, and it's much simpler than Apple Podcasts. You don't have to write out a full-fledged review. Of course, we love to to read people's feedback, um, but this one, you can, it's just all the press of a Press of a button on your app. So, and if you've made it this far into this podcast episode, then you've already met the thirty-second criteria true, yeah. to be able to leave a rating. So, yes, if you are on Spotify or have Spotify, if you're listening to us right now, and if you enjoy the show and want to leave us a rating, we would be so very appreciative. And other other podcast news. Lots of podcast news today. Yeah. <laughs> um, I actually was a guest on. Our friends over at Anime Brothers. Um, it was actually me and JD, and we both had a, I guess, a therapy session <laughs> regarding <laughs> the live-action Cowboy Bebop um, adaptation that Netflix released last month. Um, I believe their episode is it should be live at the time of of this Strictly JoJo episode being released. Uh, so, if those of you out there who have watched the live action and just need to listen to some people to kind of process what you just watched, I highly recommend that you you join 
me and JD over at uh, Anime Brothers and listen in on our discussion. And for our patrons out there, um, as a reminder, I also have a solo review of the live-action Cowboy Bebop available on Patreon, so be sure to check that out if you haven't done so. Yes, definitely check out Anime Brothers Podcast. Um, we really enjoy every chance that we get to collaborate with them. Um, I believe they're on all of the major podcast services, definitely Spotify, mm-hmm. Apple, Google, etc. So check that out. Um, I'm planning to check it out. I wasn't part of that conversation because, in case you're not aware, I very much am afraid of anime live action adaptations. So I left that all to Carl um, to to talk through with with JD from Anime Brothers Podcast. But I, I I'll definitely listen in. I'll show my support, and I feel like in general I need to have an awareness of what really went down in this live action, even if I never watch it myself. And it was kind of interesting because JD says in the discussion that he is not a self-professed Cowboy Bebop fan as as the two of us are. Um, so he had interesting perspectives on different things. But I think we we had a, a common agreement that this live action just it wasn't what it was aiming to be. So I'll just leave it at that. But again, definitely check out the Anime Brothers episode on the live action Cowboy Bebop. And so episode three of Stone Ocean, um, The Visitor Part 1. There is no localized title here because it is actually the, the Visitor Part 1. What were your just overall thoughts about Daddy returning home? I mean, it's really, is it is it his home? Do they live in Florida? I know like Jolene and her mom technically live in Florida, but like does Jotaro live there too? Yeah, actually I was wondering is in part five where is jotaro's office based i thought he was in uh i thought he was in japan oh wasn't he calling koichi from japan i could be wrong it was like a very minor part of part four but i thought it was in japan yeah i I never really thought of where the kujo's dwelling in the u.s would be (laughs) I would assume it would be near like um like a seascape or shoreside because of Jotaro's <laughs> studying in marine bio- uh, biology. Yeah, like it makes sense that like maybe he married Jolene's mom. I don't know if she has a name. Um married Jolene's mom, they moved to Florida and like Jolene grew up in Florida, but there's also the possibility that maybe Jolene's mom and Jolene moved to Florida post divorce. But Jolene, I don't know if she knows Japanese. Like, she seems very American. So my guess is she grew up in America, meaning that Jotaro probably did move to Florida to hang out with the dolphins. Probably. Well, either way, I guess he's home in some context. But anyway, Daddy's here. He's back. um, And he gets right down to business. Like, he doesn't even say hi to Jolene. He's just like, hey... Did your mom give you the pendant? <laughs> I'm like, damn, Jotaro, he's not wasting any time. But he gets it, right? Like, their lives are in danger. He's got to move quickly. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. Like, it was a very interesting episode overall. Yeah. And you know what? Everyone get their bingo cards out because I'm about to make a Star Wars reference up in this bitch. Oh, boy. <laughs> but just seeing Jotaro return to the small screen it gave me the same feelings as, spoiler alert, seeing Luke Skywalker appear at the end of The Force Awakens. And I actually made a note here. <laughs> their introductions in their respective, I guess, media franchises um, are similar because 
they both turn around like their back is to the main character and then they both turn around to reveal themselves oh yeah that's true which is kind of stupid on jotaro's part like why would you have your back turned on your daughter as she walks in why not just already have like face her yeah, he's he's facing it's, a wall technically, isn't he? Yeah. Like he's right up against that wall and he's just looking at the wall. <laughs> well, you know, I'm sure it it's just done for dramatic purposes of the anime, but again, out of context, it's just funny. Yeah. Well, overall, I say this episode is um critical for Stone Ocean because this is the true turning point for the rest of the story. Um I, I feel like the last two episodes have really just been setting the foundation for what is Jolene's backstory? How did she end up in the prison? And what is prison life like? What is she? What does she have to go through to understand, you know, how this prison operates? Because she's going to spend a significant amount of time here. Um, and so now this is really when the story kicks off. The original goal for Jolene is to prove her innocence. Um, and Jotaro literally does that in about two seconds after showing up in the episode <laughs> saying, uh, no, it's actually gone John Gallier and some other people trying to frame you. So now we've established um, or will establish in the next episode or two what Jolene's true goal will be for Stone Ocean. Yeah, the vibe that I got, I guess, with the whole visitor arc um, altogether is that it felt like a, a sort of passing of the torch um, from Jotaro to Jolene. Again, with this Star Wars reference, it's it's kind of in the same vein where Luke Skywalker is passing the quote-unquote saber from himself to Rey and carrying their legacy, which is like the Jedi legacy. Um, I know that's up for debate in the Star Wars fandom, but you know that's a different story. Um, but yeah, it's 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 interesting that it's Jotaro who kind of helps bring Jolene and the audience out from what she thinks is is the main purpose of her like trying to get out of the prison to something completely different that's I'm, I'm assuming going to be very life-threatening for everyone around them. Well, let's dive into it. Take us through the synopsis and uh, we'll, we'll chat in great detail about fathers and asses and dollar-dollar um, dollar bills, y'all. That was a really dumb joke. <laughs> I just have a note about, okay, there's, I'm, I'm going to talk about it later, but I have a note about um, a dollar bill that wasn't actually a dollar bill. Thanks, Courtney Dollar Signs. <laughs> and now begins our summary. Sorry, it was a dad joke. Okay, okay, I'm on that dad theme, I guess. <laughs> and now begins our summary of part six, episode three, The Visitor, part one. As she learns more about the mysterious powers of her stone-free stand ability, Jolene is shown the ropes regarding the dog-eat-dog -dog world of the Green Dolphin Street prison game, and our juvenile Jojo struts her stuff as she tables the turns on a prisoner who was bullying her out of her lunch money. Eventually, Jolene comes across a mysterious young, oh, that's a baseball boy shacked up in a garbage bin, who gives her a bone, wink-wink, and warns her to skip her scheduled visitation the next day. Jolene says, fuck it! and goes to the visitation room anyways, and finds to her dismay that her visitor is none other than Daddy Jotaro. Let's go. Daddy Jotaro gives her a stands for dummies lesson and informs her that a blind assassin inmate named John Gallier set up the sequence of events leading to her imprisonment as a fuck you to Jotaro for killing Dio-sama. It was over 20 years ago, John. Get over it. Jolene plays rebellious angsty daughter as she refuses Jotaro's assistance in helping her escape the prison, 
when the pair are attacked by long-distance sniper bullets from John Gallier himself and his weird floating jingly stand device. And of course, my boy Daddy Jotaro is shot trying to save the prison guard overseeing the visitation. Why would you end the episode on a sheer heart attack of a cliffhanger like that? Oh my god! And now onto our next segment of the show, is that a music and or fashion reference, where we document any and all nods, homages, and tributes that this extraordinary anime makes to the ordinary world of music and or fashion. So there were two characters that were introduced in this episode, and then a stand ability, which all have references. But one of the characters we, as of yet, at least in the anime, do not know his name, but do you think I should bring him up anyways? Uh, fuck it. Why not? Okay. <laughs> I'll save the, the Stan one because I know it wasn't mentioned by name in this episode, and I'm pretty sure it's mentioned by name the second, or in the the next episode. But the first reference is to uh, the baddie, John Gallier. He is a reference to John Galliano, who is a British Gibraltarian fashion designer who was the head designer of French fashion companies, Givenchy. Is that right? Givenchy. Givenchy? I don't know. I don't know fashion. <laughs> uh, Christian Dior. I'm sure I'm pronouncing that correctly. Yes. <laughs> and then his own label, John Galliano. Um, at present, he is the creative director of the Paris-based fashion house Maison Margiela. So there you go. Well, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> and then the second semi-reference in this episode is in regards to Baseball Boy, Emporio Al Nino. He is a reference to... Wait, that's Emporio's last name? I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, I didn't know either until I... I even s- I'm like trying to remember if they even mentioned his last name in the manga. They probably did. I don't know. I skimmed that shit so fast. Yeah, I don't know if he introdu- uh, introduces himself by his full name later on in the anime, but according to Jojo Wiki, his last name's El Nino. And his name in its entirety is a reference to Emporio Armani, which is the second brand of the Armani fashion family featuring ready-to-wear and runway collections. I think more most people are familiar with the Giorgio Armani brand. Armani Exchange. Yeah, those are all, I guess, different branches. And then there's this one, Emporio Armani. So, fashion fashion well now it's time for the jojo meme rundown where we list each new jojo meme that appeared in this episode and in this one we actually do have one and it's a new one fresh with the you know the release of stone ocean actually technically the release of the stone ocean trailers and that is jotaro's hat because it's so fucking tall and i don't understand why who drew that and thought yes this looks great for jotaro we'll just make his head look like twice as long as it needs to (laughs) and basically when they released the trailer that had jotaro in it or maybe it was like the second set as part of the character trailers twitter just blew up because no one could stop looking at the fucking height of jotaro's hat and i think we talked about this in a previous um, episode of strictly jojo but basically, people were, you know, photoshopping the shit out of it, imagining like how tall Jotaro's skull actually is for the hat to be that high. Um, someone else took the hat and made it like infinitely tall, like they did with like that Polnareff Pol- yeah. meme where they took his hair and just like extended it so far above his head. Um, so yeah, it's his hat. And honestly, watching the trailers over and over again and seeing these same exact scenes and moments 
in the actual episode and watching the episode multiple times, I cannot stop looking at the hat. It is so distracting. You'd think eventually you would just get over it, but no, it's just it's just weird looking. I think you know people have stitched together. I think that's the term stitching of uh, certain scenes in JoJo just because there are a lot of these shots that pan up and down, right? And I think that was the shot here with Jotaro where he's summoning Star Platinum. Um, I know there have been perfect stitchings in the past, especially with part two um, when Joseph is crying out for Caesar and you have that she's a moment. And, you know, like the proportions of his face there are, are fine. And then they have this picture where I think someone stitched together that whole I, I don't know if it's a panoramic, but, you know, you know what I'm talking about. It's panning upward, yeah. Yeah. And it just looked like Jotaro's wearing a top hat. And the other images I'm looking at, there are pictures of him in the manga where his head's just normal size. So I don't know why they wanted to just emphasize his hair. It's here. so weird because Jotaro's hat's already weird because we can't tell if it's like a hat hair combo or if it's a, a hat ripped in half that sits on the front part of his head like you know his hat in general is a mystery and then here they just make it more of a mystery for no reason by making it very very heighty like it's just like a lot of height to his hat like too much there's too yeah, much there i think it was just meant for dramatic animated emphasis but well, then you know it's very <laughs> distracting <laughs> But uh, yeah, that's the only meme I caught. Um, I'm sure more will pop up as we continue down this stone ocean uh, path here. But if we missed any memes, as always, please reach out and let us know so we can pay homage to more than just Jotaro's weird hat. So right off the bat with this episode, we get a little bit of a, a summary from Jolene about Stone Free's abilities starting with the fact that Stone Free is made up of threads. Those threads can reach pretty far, but the farther she reaches, um, the weaker the stand becomes. Um, and we see that happen a number of times in subsequent episodes where someone can just chop a, a thread like in half, like it's not any big deal. Um, and then she mentions the opposite where it, Stone Free is strongest when the threads are bunched together, essentially when Stone Free becomes whole. Um, and she confirms that it is a short range stand just like Star Platinum and I believe just like uh, Crazy Diamond and Gold Experience where the range is only two meters when Stone Free is whole. Um, so it's kind of interesting that her stand is different in, in that it has the longest reach of any JoJo stand, like main JoJo stand, um, but becomes weaker as a consequence of extending that reach. I'm still fascinated by the versatility of her stand, again, compared to the stands of other JoJo's we've seen in the past, especially because later in this episode, I think Stone Free has quite a versatility in both attack and defense. Like you said, she can bunch up together to, to manifest the, the, the spirit and then um, elicit punches just like Star Platinum. But it also has the property of almost like creating this sort of kevlar armor when um john gallier's sniper bullet hits her like stone free is able to just patch up or put together a series of threads to protect jolene from the bullet from that one single place compared to like if, if that were to happen to jotaro like star, star platinum would have to jump right in front of him 
Yeah, and I I agree that there's quite a, a bit of versatility with Stone Free because it, to a certain extent you can argue that Gold Experience is very versatile and that Jorno can create many different things. Um, but it's I don't know it's it's hard to describe like through those creations he can do some things, but Stone Free doesn't need to create anything. It just is, and and mm-hmm. because it is it can do these different things. Yeah, like being a surveillance device or listening device, again, to creating body armor to being a little literal bodyguard for, for Jolene. And I do also enjoy, I know she doesn't mention it in this episode, but we learn pretty soon that, uh, I think it's the Foo Fighters episode, where you know as her threads unravel or extend, her body actually begins to unravel as well, which is both... Um, a positive and a negative. I, I do enjoy when there is a nice balance to some of these stands, like with Crazy Diamond. Crazy Diamond can repair anything, but not Josuke himself. So he can never benefit from that ability. Mm-hmm. Um, so here it's the same thing where Stone Free can reach really far, but the trade-off is that Jolene then starts to unravel herself, putting herself at risk. Plus the fact that when the, the threads are, are cut, she also gets damaged. So there, but on the flip side of the flip side, she can also use those holes in her body to an advantage. That sounds kind of weird, but um, in that fight with Foo Fighters, we see that um, that it is an, it is to her advantage being unraveled like that. Then Jolene's in the cafeteria, technically, right where the phones are at, yeah, like the mess hall or whatever. And I really enjoy her interaction with Guess because the first thing, because, you know, Guess is being her little uh, nasty self. And the first thing Jolene says is Yakamashi, which is the same thing that Jotaro yells at girls in both parts three and part four. So in part three, it's in the beginning of that part where he's walking to school. The girls are like all over him and they're being super annoying. And he says, Yakamashi, basically like shut the fuck up. And then in part four, it's the same thing at the beginning of that part when he and Josuke are, um, you know, going through some brawl and he punches Josuke and then there's blood. Or maybe it's the other way around. Josuke punches Jotaro and there's blood and the girl starts screaming. And then Jotaro's like, shut the fuck up. <laughs> Here, Jolene says it to guests saying, shut up. You're basically really annoying and I don't trust you. And I, I thought that was a great callback to just Jotaro and his behavior. Like daddy, like daughter. Yup. Yup, yup, yup. And then going back to my really bad dad joke about dollar bills, um, the the only note I took about the phone call scene is that the blonde chick asks Jolene for a dollar, but Jolene gives her a coin. And we all know in the U.S. the dollar is a physical bill, not a physical bill, but it's a it's a dollar bill. Although we do technically have dollar coins, right? Yeah, so, but they're gold yeah and she she hands her a silver coin so i'm like was that an oversight i mean granted it's created by a japanese mangaka so you may not actually think about those little details but as an american i'm like oh wait a minute you gave her a dollar but you're actually giving her what looks to be a quarter instead and she even confirms it later on um when she confronts that same chick in the library she says you know i'm waiting for my for you to give me back my dollar and i'm like that that wasn't a dollar unless wait are there silver dollars um, I don't know. I, I remember there were half dollars, like the, they were obviously 50 cents and they were, they were silver, but the only dollar coin that I can think of is the, the gold Sacagawea dollars that were, that were previously in circulation. You don't really see them anymore though. Hmm. 
Yeah, yep. I don't know. I mean, clearly they're so rarely used that even us as Americans don't know a lot about them. <laughs> yeah, I've probably I only was... <laughs> seen like one or even used one in my entire life. So maybe they exist. Um, maybe they're not in circulation anymore. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Either way, it was weird for her to say, I'm going to give you $1 and then hand her what looks like a quarter. I feel like it was just an oversight um, on the animator's part because, again, they're probably not familiar with American currency. Although they do animate like dollar bills pretty well yeah when you see that 20 dollar bill up, or even up yeah close, there's I'm like, a the 10 dollar bill too that's in yeah. the 10 dollars are now in that like yellowish color yeah and they kind of almost give it this cell shading look so it looks a little bit kind of blurred out but not really mm-hmm. um it is pretty spot on i mean that those look like our actual currency so i don't know why they they caught those two but they didn't catch the the dollar yeah which i'm surprised because the manga was written, I think, back in 2000, 2003. And I don't think the colors on the different bills were introduced at that point. Right? Yeah, I don't think so. Um, so great attention to detail on David Productions' part. Is this part takes place in 2011, and I'm pretty sure that's when we started seeing colors on the different dollar bills. I do have a related question, though. Um, later in the library scene when Jolene sneaks that powder into the blonde chick's drink to cause her to have like what seems to be explosive diarrhea. Is she holding a quarter? And is it the quarter that she grinds into a powder and then puts into the drink to activate that explosive diarrhea? Or like, I didn't understand what was happening there. What was that? Yes, I did a little bit of research. Oh, my assumption is that Jolene was crushing a quarter using Stone Free's ability. And I read that quarters are made out of a copper-plated zinc, and copper can be a cause of stomach pain and constipation. Oh, shit. So, so that's like some deep-rooted <laughs> lore, like some deep-rooted uh, details there that uh, would just go right over our heads if we didn't stop to think about that. And, of course, Jolene is a JoJo, so she does have that smack of intelligence to her and she didn't mention in the beginning of the episode when she's doing that kind of rundown of stone Free's abilities that when it is you know solid all the the threads have bundled together that it has extreme strength and you do see that moment where stone Free's hand like takes the coin and smushes it like that's folds the, it. yeah the intro right yeah so i guess that's all related interesting i, I was looking at that because i the first time I watched it, I thought it was a pill. You know, you're, you're trying to absorb everything that you're seeing. So I'm like, oh, that must be a pill that she crushed, mm-hmm. like a laxative or something. But then I saw it again. I'm like, is that a fucking coin? <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure it was a coin because, it, uh, one, it was circular. And two, you, I'm pretty sure you could see, like, the etching of, I think, Washington's on the on the quarter. Yeah. <laughs> I should know this from just looking at my currency. But, <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure it was a quarter. And so, again smart of jolene to kind of use it as like a, a laxative <laughs> yeah that that's blondie. some that's some interesting knowledge she's got there and we'll i'll bring this up again too as we talk through this episode because she certainly does have her intelligence on full display throughout kind of what happens um in her interactions with jotaro um but then when she's trying to leave the library that's when we get introduced to emporio and he is a confirmed cubs fan because they got rid of the logo probably for copyright or whatever reasons (laughs) yes and i know we brought this up some time ago i forgot which episode where we were wondering why why a cubs uniform 
And I found an article online by Otaku USA Magazine titled, Why is that kid from Stone Ocean wearing a Cubs uniform? <laughs> and so the answer to that, um, it states in the article, just as Stone Ocean was beginning its manga run in March 2000, Major League Baseball was making history. The New York Mets and the Chicago Cubs opened the 2000 MLB season at the Tokyo Dome on March 29th of that year. This marked the first time ever that a regular season MLB game was played overseas. Long version is that the Cubs beat the Mets 5-3, to even though the rest of the season didn't go well for them. But I think the Cubs just were stuck in the mind of, or in the public eye of Japan. So I think Araki was also caught up in that craze. And so he decided to put Emporio in a Cubs uniform. And I am thankful for that. Yes. For anyone, <laughs> I mean, we've mentioned this before, but for anyone who's not aware, we are both out here in Chicago. Um, we are a house divided, as we call it, because Chicago has two major baseball teams. On the north side, you've got the Chicago Cubs. And on the south side, you've got the Chicago White Sox. Um, well, Carl is a diehard Cubs fan, and I am a diehard White Sox fan. Mm. <laughs> mm. So in my head canon, I like to think that he's not wearing the Cubs logo because he actually wants to cross over to the White Sox. But, you know, that's, well, that's just yeah, me. Okay? No, that's just me. He I don't still know. has the pinstripes and the blue and red. Because he's patriotic. I don't Pas- know. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, yes, I mean, confirmed Cubs fan, fine. Yeah, the Cubs are a JoJo reference. Okay, people. you get to have that one, fine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, boy, baseball is always fun over here in Chicago. Oh, that's a baseball. <laughs> oh, that's a baseball. But, yeah, I mean, all in all, even though I'm not a Cubs fan, um, I, it is cool to know that a Chicago team is in a JoJo anime like that, whether it's the Cubs or the White Sox, it's just cool to know that Chicago has representation in JoJo. Like that's fucking awesome. Yeah. Just also very random. Except Netflix <laughs> or the local, you know, the, the overseas versions got rid of it. The, the U.S. version got rid of the logo. So I'm kind of bummed about that. I'm like, just just pay the Cubs whatever they need so that you can keep Chicago's representation in JoJo for the U.S. fans. Everyone yeah. else in the world probably gets to just see the Cubs logo, but not us. And this is just ripe for a collaboration between the MLB and JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. I mean, Araki has done how many uh, collaborations with fashion designers? I mean, Gucci was a big one. Um, I think there was like a Jolene. Yeah, it was uh, Jolene Fly High with Gucci. I'm going to look it up. Hang on. Yes, it was Jolene Fly High with Gucci, which was a JoJo's Bizarre Adventure and Gucci collab, which is fucking phenomenal. And I'm so, so sad I did not, you know, become a JoJo fan while this was happening because it released in 2012, it says here. I mean, I would have dumped all of my money into a JoJo Gucci collab. Can you even imagine? Um, so, yeah, I, the things that JoJo has collabed with over the years, I could see them definitely doing a baseball collab. That would be really, really cool. Yeah, I'm just imagining right now if there were a Cubs uniform and the back of it where the player's name would go, you would just see the menacing. <laughs> or even like Emporio. <laughs> oh yeah. That'd be oh yeah, Emporio. Cool. Which oh, I know God. that there there's a photo like a photo circulating around on the internet. Um there was a convention where I think it was this girl who was cosplaying as Emporio, but she had to hold up a sign that said I'm not a Cubs fan. This is a JoJo cosplay. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Wait, does Emporio have a number on his jersey? 
I don't think he. Yeah, I don't think he represent or there's any number on it. It's, All right, it's just well, a plain jersey. Now that Stone Ocean is out, um, you as a Cubs fan need to order a custom jersey. Yeah. And put the name as Emporio, and I don't know, do like double zero or something, like just a number that's like obviously not used in the league, but put Emporio oh, on wait. the back and wait for JoJo fans to be like, yo, is that a JoJo reference? <laughs> Hold on. I think there is a shot, a screenshot I found of uh, Emporio's back. And Careful. It's th- don't don't find spoilers. Oh, no. I just searched Emporio um, on Google Images, and I think he's he's carrying the number six. Perfect. I'm curious if there was a Chicago Cubs player um, who used the number six. But, yeah, I'm overdue for a jersey because I have one, but that player has left the Cubs uh, all the players <laughs> yeah the we're in a kind of <laughs> a bad, <laughs> we're in kind of bad shape right now but yeah that, that just gave me an idea for a very unique sports jersey you could even wear it to anime conventions you know what if if Carl does order a custom Cubs jersey and uses number six and puts Emporio on the back we will post a picture of it on our social media on our Instagram and our Twitter so um, everyone pressure Carl to do that. <laughs> if not, I'll do it with a White Sox jersey and then probably confuse no, a lot of no, people. No, no, no. That's sacrilege. <laughs> but let's move on to asses because, dude, John Gallier's ass is thick. Ooh, like he thick. Dummy thick. Like straight up apple bottom. Like what What was I looking at? I This is the, the second time we're watching this episode and I still cannot get over that ass because there have been plenty of voluptuous asses in JoJo. Again, you've got Paul Nareff. You've got um, The World. You've got, what is Abakio's stand name again? Moody Blues. Moody Blues. I mean, you've got these dump trucks walking around left and right in JoJo. Even Joseph Josar, older Joseph in part three, has a dump truck at one point. Mm-hmm. But this is the first time I think we're seeing a full-on moon, like a full moon dummy thick ass in the shower. And my God, it's big. Also, why introduce a character like this? I mean, it, it, it's JoJo. You, there's no really, there's no real need to question it, but it's just a very strange introduction. We just see this guy showering, and we don't have any idea of who he is, but we have an inkling that he is the antagonist of this episode. I think, I feel like Araki's been leading up to this point. I mean, with all the, the thick asses he's put in the show, he was probably like, fuck it, I'm going to give you some bare ass now. Like, I've been wanting to do this, I'm just going to do it. And interestingly, John Gallier puts his pants on backwards. Like, we, we pretty much get within the first few seconds of his introduction that he is blind. Um, but then they give us that snippet where he's leaving the showers and the guard is like, Hey, by the way, you put your pants on backwards. I kind of, I, I found that interesting because the rest of John Gallier's portrayal is very like buttoned up. Um, he's got, you know, like he, he's got focus throughout his goal of eliminating Jolene and Jotaro, but for some reason he put his pants on backwards when he left the showers. It was just a very strange thing to, to add to his character. Maybe it's just easier to shit that way. Yeah. Oh, you know what? <laughs> that is a good point. Making you can a just f- poo through the hole in his pants. <laughs> a fashion statement? I don't oh, God. Know. <laughs> oh, boy. Well, that, that's a... That's the thing we can ponder later, I guess. But yes, we get John John Gallier's introduction. And I think another thing I find interesting about his character is that his entire outfit is kind of themed like he's melting or like water droplets. 
And that led me to believe, at least in the beginning, that John Gallier was the one using that acid in the visitation room to put uh, Jolene and Jotaro to sleep. But he's not, as we find out. And that's kind of confusing because he literally looks like what could be that that stand power based on how his outfit looks. Yeah, I think the first time we watched it, the anime wasn't clear who had this ability. Um, Because, yeah, I thought... And we were like you said, we were talking about this earlier. The the device that he uses to snipe uh Jolene and Jotaro, I think I thought that was just something he came up with during the dream sequence, but or and then that the, the cum drooping <laughs> was his actual stand ability. <laughs> but yeah, we'll we'll find out later that it's it's not actually that. And and to that point, I'm jumping a little bit ahead, but um in the manga, there is um well this is probably better saved for the next episode, but in the manga there's a particular shot of Jotaro and Jolene um when they start to realize or wake up from this dream sequence where it basically looks like they're in a room full of jizz just like just covered in this white goop um i i'll probably mention it again in in the next episode because i think it pops up in part two of the visitor but um it just it looks so bad it looks so bad in in the the manga but i feel like they toned it down a little bit for the anime because it's not as jolting in the anime but again like that's why i thought john gallier's stand power was the acid because he literally looks like what they're covered in when they realize that they're being eaten away by acid. So red herring. Jotaro gets introduced. We talk a li- talked a little bit about this already. Um, he kind of just starts off by not saying, hey, Jolene, how are you? I haven't seen you in a long time. He's more like, Jolene, did your mom give you the pendant? Like That's that's how he started the conversation. He turns on. He's like, <laughs> did your mom give you the pendant? And then she's like, the fuck, dude? <laughs> Why are you here? You're not my mom. Jotaro's no here for fun and games. <laughs> he doesn't have time for small talk. I mean, this is Jotaro Kujo we're talking about. He doesn't talk to anybody unless he has to. <laughs> not his mom, not his grandpa, not even his own daughter. Like, that's just who he is. It's not that he doesn't care. It's just that he's kind of a tsundere. <laughs> I also love in his introduction that you hear an elegant version of his theme i know in the previous episode it ended with just the the haunting piano riff but here i think the strings are added in and it's just a very nice way to bring him back into jojo's bizarre adventure i do really like as you mentioned earlier that they kind of do that pan as he turns and then it it stops on that close-up of his face which i think is when his theme kicks in um, that shot of his face is a fantastic shot, both in the manga and in the anime. It's just really cool. Like it's something that I would, I would, I would want to print and like hang up on our wall. It's a great shot of Jotaro, and I think that's that being the very first image of him in the anime is is super satisfying. Yeah, it's kind of like seeing an MCU cameo, and it just gets you really excited. Like that's how I felt. Um, besides the the whole Star Wars reference I mentioned earlier is. <laughs> Just seeing him again was like, like seeing the climax of Endgame. <laughs> yeah, it had it definitely had that hype factor. Um, in between, we get the flashback of Jolene's mom calling Jotaro to tell him that his daughter's in trouble, and then Jolene's mom gets upset because Jotaro is going to Tokyo instead of coming home to help out with jo- uh, with Jolene. And, okay, this, this is going to be, as we move through Stone Ocean, I feel like this is going to be a conversation that we're probably going to have over the course of multiple episodes. Um, and that conversation, or I guess the, the, the question is, is Jotaro a bad dad? Because 
for the longest time, it's been a meme that Jotaro is a shitty father because well, there's a who lot. Who isn't of, in JoJo? I know. Yeah, parenting <laughs> in, in JoJo in general is kind of sus, but the a lot of people who have not read Stone Ocean immediately assume that Jotaro is a bad dad based on the general knowledge that they have about Jolene's relationship with him. But being a manga reader and seeing the way they kind of portrayed the start of like the renewal of their relationship in these first 12 episodes of Stone Ocean, I, I think it's it's a situation where Jotaro may not be the most expressive person. Like he'll never say something to your face, but he'll show you what he truly feels and what his true intentions are through his actions. It all goes back to Holly, right? Like he, he yells and, and treats his mom like shit, but the second she's actually in danger, he does not hesitate to to travel to Egypt and put his life in danger in order to save her. And here it's it's same it's the same thing with Jolter. Like Jolene is clearly very upset because he's been an absent father. Um, but you kind of have to stop and think about what he's telling Jolene in in this conversation. Because he's telling her, hey, you were framed. The Joestar bloodline is basically cursed and a lot of people are out to get us. Um, and I'm here to protect you and, and get you out of this jail so that you're not killed and, and I'm not killed. And I think it all kind of stems from Jotaro's lifelong journey to hunt down the sand arrows, to fight his enemy stand users, to protect his family, even outside of his immediate family. And um, I, part of the reason this is a turning point for the show is because Jolene starts to realize that and realizes what her ultimate goal is in Stone Ocean. I'm thinking this through right now, and I understand like why Jotaro had to leave his family. It was for their protection. But if he knew that his daughter's life was going to be in danger, why wouldn't he put her under the care of like the Speedwagon Foundation? That's a good question. And I also, that kind of makes me think too that we're just kind of reliving the situation that Joseph had with Edina, where she mm -hmm. thought it would be safer for Joseph to never know about the Joestar curse, um, the Joestar lineage. And he never knew that Hamon existed. He didn't know anything about his mother and father. He only heard one story about Jonathan. Um, and in the end, I feel like that more so hindered Joseph's journey rather than helped it because he th that knowledge could have helped him much sooner. Like you can't escape fate. And he, he learned that pretty quickly. But he was kind of behind the ball because he was learning as he was going versus kind of showing up with some knowledge already. And so here, are we seeing a similar situation unfold where Jotaro was trying to protect Jolene um, by, first of all, staying away from the family because stand users attract other stand users. Mm -hmm. And if he's around his family, it's very likely that enemy stand users will suddenly pop up. Um, but then also just trying to hope. My assumption is trying to have her live a somewhat normal life by not knowing what the Joestar curse was, not knowing what stands are, et cetera. Although it kind of backfired because an absent father kind of made her into a, a rough kid, perhaps. But he he knows that their fates are intertwined, as we find out in this episode, with with Dio being a huge enemy of the lineage. Um, so it, yeah, it's, it's still kind of confusing why he wouldn't just let Jolene know all of this, like once she becomes of age. And I know I I feel like his last resort in trying to protect her was by giving her the pendant with the stand arrow inside. Because his presumption was that she would grab it and then it would pierce her and then her standability would manifest. But to your point earlier where he wanted to stay away from the family because he knows that stand users attract other stand users, 
well, that already happened here with Jolene in the prison because she's already attracting other stand users. Yeah, well, yes, because she activated her stand. But also, like, the Joestar bloodline is so well-known among Dio's circle that, yeah, to your point, like, I think him trying to keep her in the dark isn't enough to save her, obviously, because mm-hmm. he Jotaro kept his distance, yet Jolene was still framed and used to kind of lure Jotaro out from hiding. Um but yeah, I don't know. I feel like it probably would have been better in both situations for Joseph and for Jolene to just have been told straight up what the situation is so that they could be mentally prepared for all this. I mean, even Jotaro's mom is freaking out like, why are you going to Tokyo instead of coming to help your daughter? It makes me wonder, did Jotaro not even tell his wife about stands and about you know the, the Joestar bloodline and everything? So I don't know. It's just very interesting that here we see in this visitation room, Jotaro just saying, fuck it, here's all the information that I've been withholding from you your entire life in order, and I'm telling you this in order to save your life when this, a lot of this headache could have been avoided if he just told her earlier. Yeah, a lot of coulda, woulda, shoulda in this family. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy, the Joestars. Um, but yeah, that, that flashback was very interesting because it plays into why Jolene has such a disdain for Jotaro that she does not get along with her father because she feels that he was never around. But on the flip side, I think you can argue that Jotaro being around was more of a more of an endangerment to Jolene's life than than anything really. Um, but Jotaro is still her dad, and when she refuses to sit down, he says, "I said sit." <laughs> <laughs> that was great. I was like, "Oh man, he really is a dad." Like he's like, "Sit down, I'll tell you all the information you need to know." And she's like, "I'm not sitting down. Don't tell me what to do." And he goes, "I said sit," and then she fucking shuts up and sits her ass down. I'm like, "He is Daddy Jotaro, okay? Don't mess with Dad." <laughs> Such a great moment, and it's funny because he's looking at. His daughter, who is exactly like he was, like, what, 20 years ago? That's karma, baby. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I also, to, to our earlier point, Jolene does say at one point, I don't understand. In the middle of Jotaro explaining everything to her, she's like, I don't understand. I thought you were a marine biologist. And I'm like, dude, I, <laughs> I can understand why you'd be so confused with everything he's telling you. Because it does also remind me of the conversation that... Um, Joseph has with Holly Avdol and Jotaro after they, they finally get Jotaro to leave the jail. They're in that restaurant, and Joseph is explaining, like, there's this vampire, right? Okay, just, just you know, just he, hold, hear me out really quick. There's this vampire who killed your great-grandfather, and then he was in a coffin, but then he took your, your great-grandfather's body and, uh, you know, put his head on his body, and now he's alive, and he's in Egypt, and he's trying to kill us. And you're involved in this because you were born a Joestar. And Jotaro's like, I don't know what the fuck you're talking about, but I don't believe you. It's the same situation here. Mm -hmm. Jotaro's doing an information dump on Jolene. And she's like, I don't get what the fuck you're telling me. Don't you like swim with fish or something? But throughout this whole exchange, we get the quick images of the droplets forming on the vent above their heads. And this is when the dream sequence initiates. I don't think they they um, acknowledge that it's a dream in this particular episode. They'll they'll acknowledge it in the next episode. But as we know, um, it is part of a, a dream sequence uh, initiated by a stand user. And I will say, the first time you watch this whole sequence, you don't realize that there's a shift. Um, once the droplets start falling. But the second time you watch it, it's much more obvious because you know the truth of what's going on. 
And I really appreciate the way that they signaled the change in a subtle yet obvious manner. So as soon as the first droplet falls, the music changes and the color palette changes. Um, and it's also kind of around the time Jolene loses her loses her handcuffs and then Jotaro notices the cigarette. So on Jolene's side of the dream, the color palette is a bit more like bright and washed out. Is that how you describe it? Like it seems very like 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 light and like washed out is the yeah. best way I can describe it. It's just a brighter scene. Not by too much, but like comparatively brighter to how Jolene's color like her colors looked previously. Yeah. And then you get again that that quick change in the music to something a little more suspenseful, um, and then a little bit into uh, Jolene kind of walking around and talking to Jotaro, it suddenly switches to Jotaro's inner narration where he's looking at the cigarettes, wondering like when did somebody light that cigarette, and the color palette in his dream is a bit warmer. There's more of a yellow or like orangey tint to it very subtle mm -hmm. but a little bit more um on the warm side and i've also noticed kind of watching this a second time that the edges of the screen are ever so slightly fuzzy and these are all such subtle changes that again you don't realize it the first time you're watching it but watching it again i'm like oh that's so clever like that's a fantastic way to signal what's happening without being super obvious and giving it away right off the bat and i think you mentioned this um, towards the end of the episode where Jotaro is trying to defend the prison guard from getting shot and then he takes the bullet himself. We were, I think originally we were questioning why Star Platinum wouldn't have stopped the bullet because we see Star, pa Star Platinum appear when Jotaro summons him because he sees Jolene about to get hit by her bullet. Um, but then he, upon further investigation, Jotaro finds out that Jolene was able to save herself using Stone Free. But then in the very next scene, again, Jotaro gets shot trying to save the prison guard. And we were wondering why Star Platinum wasn't there to save him. But you mentioned it, and this makes sense now. It's because we're seeing things at that scene from Jolene's perspective. And she, by that point, she hadn't even seen Star Platinum manifest. She didn't even know Star Platinum's name, I believe. Because mm -hmm. we'll see in the next episode that... In Jotaro's dream, um, Jolene's like, oh, you're Stan Star Platinum. And he says, hey, I've never even said the name of my stand. How do you know that? And that's kind of what triggers him to realize something's something's going on. Um, but yeah, you're right. Like We've seen Star Platinum stop bullets before with Jotaro. So him actually getting shot is a huge tip that something, something weird is going on. I mean, I think the biggest hint that something is going on is when Jolene literally looks at her hands and says, where did my handcuffs go? Yeah. <laughs> like my handcuffs are just gone. Like they just disappeared. Um, but I would say all the other hints are, are pretty subtle outside of that one. No, I'm surprised that you caught that. Even in our second watch of this, like obviously we knew what was going to happen, but I didn't realize there would be those sort of cinema, cinema, cinematic, cinematic, Photographical <laughs> shifts in presentation to signal that not all is as it seems. I feel like, and again, I don't really remember the manga all that well. I feel like the entire dream sequence and the explanation afterwards is more clear in the manga than what I feel like they did in the anime. But visually, the anime does much more than the manga to kind of signal those changes. From what I remember, I could be completely wrong, but just I, I felt like 
like sitting through visitor one and visitor two um or parts one and two i I felt still slightly confused about um what was going on in the dream sequence like how that all kind of played out and also emporio saying don't go in there because you'll experience something worse than death i feel like that's also better explained in the manga because i'm sitting here thinking like what did he mean by that and i almost want to go back to the manga to try and understand the intentions behind him saying that to jolene and i was asked i asked you too like how does Emporio even know of all this information? And we surmise that it's, we find out that he has this ability to go around the prison freely or knows ways in and out. And so he maybe just happened to find this information. I don't know. I feel like he's got a pretty good hold on what's going on in the jail because yeah, like he can kind of sneak his way in and out. Um, But yeah, we totally forgot to talk about Emporio. So hang on, let's, Let's change this this uh, this topic really quick because Emporio shows up before the visitation even happens, um, and man, he's he's best boy for sure. But this first introduction, he's a freaky little kid. He's hiding in a trash can, and then he just grabs Jolene's hand and gives her a fucking human bone. I'm like, that's not the greatest first impression, but he makes up for it very quickly. <laughs> and you know, he doesn't have bad intentions, especially because every shot you see of him, he has these eyes like that that are like pleading jo- for Jolene to believe him like it's never anything sinister so you, even though he's creepy as fuck at this moment you know he's coming to her with like a genuine a genuine mindset of her not getting into danger and so my question then as i mentioned earlier is what is he trying to insinuate by saying you'll experience a fate worse than death um, that's not the exact quote, but essentially that you'll you'll experience a fate worse than death if you go into that visitation room. My my two theories, um, because again, I, I don't I feel like I'm missing something in these these episodes here. My two theories are one, he's trying to say that if you go into that visitation room, you're going to lose your family member um, because they're going to get killed or whatever. Or the other one is if you go in that room, White Snake is going to use the discs on you, and you're going to lose your your inner being as well as your stand. And so I'm like, I don't know. Did you get anything else from what he was trying to to warn her about? The first one, I think, would make sense since we know that he can probably transport all around the prison unbeknownst to anybody. So he probably knew that John Gallier was around and was putting this whole scheme together to get Jolene and Jotaro um, offed. (laughs) Um, The second one makes me wonder if he came across white snake at some point saw what his power could do and then that's what prompted him to go and warn jolene yeah i'll have to will have to rather keep a a closer eye on the next few episodes where jolene and emporio are talking about white snake to see if emporio says that he's already aware of white snake and his ability or if Emporio is just as surprised as Jolene is when they discover, you know, like where the discs come from and everything. Because, yeah, I, I can't remember. We're only on technically this is our second watch through of Stone Ocean and it's brand new. So we haven't retained all of the information of what's yeah, been going on. Forgive but... us because we blew <laughs> through that the, the first week it came out. Yeah, we, we finished the 12 episodes in two days. Yeah. So, yeah, it's it's still new for us. But um, we'll, we'll circle back on that and kind of revisit this idea of what Emporio was was ultimately trying to warn Jolene about 
So then back in the visitation room, um, I think it's mostly in Jolene's dream sequence, but I really do enjoy how Jolene is basically telling Jotaro over and over again, don't order me around. But at the same time, she's showing Jotaro that she's just as intelligent as he is when they're observing John Gali's stand outside of their cell. Um, so she's, she's trying to be, you know, Jotaro like he was with Joseph when he was younger. Um, but, you know, can still cooperate and still work together with her father because they both immediately figure out what's going on with that stand. Um, but it's Jolene that actually no notices that there's some sort of reaction that that stand is having because of the air moving around. And so I'm like, I, I just enjoy the embodiment of Jotaro and, and a lot of his traits showing up in Jolene and then seeing the two of them work together. Like they're like the same fucking person working together. <laughs> Like father, like daughter. That's what this whole episode's about. A hundred percent. But yeah, and then it just ends on a cliffhanger of Del Toro getting shot. And then oh, we, have God. To wait. we have to wait till the next episode to Which see the rest of this that, exchange. It wasn't that long. But again, I, I hate how the dump, the Netflix dump takes the magic out of figuring out how Jotaro's going to survive. Yeah, there's no theorizing because you could literally just play the next episode and right. find out the answer. Um, and speaking of the next episode, so it is The Visitor Part 2, and I feel like th the action and the intensity in Stone Ocean continues to ramp up between episodes 3, 4, and 5, with episode 5 being kind of the climax of this Jotaro reintroduction arc because holy shit, things go from like 1 to 1,000 when we get to episode 5. But episode 4 is just as exciting, if not more exciting, than episode 3. So I feel like these next few episodes, the intensity is just going to keep climbing. And then I feel like we just plateau in a good way where after all that stuff happens with Jotaro and Jolene goes back into the prison, it's just a wild ride from there. Like, it just keeps going and going and going and does not stop for the, the rest of the 12 episodes. Yeah, it kind of, like, it takes you down one path and then it veers off into another path that, that's just as crazy. Yeah. But <laughs> oh my god for sure but i'm really excited to talk about part two of the of the visitor because there's a lot that i want to analyze about these dream sequences and kind of catch when we're switching between jolene and jotaro's dreams and with that that brings us to our final thoughts for part six episode three the visitor part one that's so a did, lot of numbers yeah <laughs> <laughs> so what did you think about the return of daddy jotaro it's great. It's great because, again, we, we get Jolene being really pissed off that it's her dad showing up back into her life after so long. But she's very quickly realizing that something is going on here that, you know, compelled Jotaro to stay away from the family. And it's the start of, like, not really the rekindling of their relationship, but Jolene understanding why Jotaro is the way that he is. Um, it also sets us on the path for the rest of Stone Ocean. Like I said earlier, this is the defining episode for what is the true goal of Stone Ocean. What's the true what what the true goal is for Jolene throughout Part Six? Um, and yeah, it's it's just great having Jotaro back because he's in every fucking part after he's introduced, and it's it's just it's great to have him actually be a significant part of a part. What about you? Yeah, it was great. Anything with Jotaro in it is great. <laughs> <laughs> I will say that the pacing felt a bit disjointed in the beginning with the whole finding out the prison game thing and then 
Jotaro's introduction happening like mid episode, I felt like it could have been a cliffhanger by that point. But you know, I've we've had this issue before with like parts being almost like transitional episodes, but this definitely isn't a transitional episode. And I overall, I thought it was still a solid introduction to Jotaro that takes us from the foundation that episodes one and two set up for us and then puts us right into the thick of, like you said, what the, the true a conflict is going to be in, in Stone Ocean. And it just keeps the tension going once Jotaro is introduced. And, you know, there's no time for like a heart to heart or heart to broken heart moment between um, father and daughter when their threat begins literally like six feet away from them. And so, yeah, again, from the time that Jotaro is introduced, it, it all goes downhill from here. <laughs> um, of course, I love that we get confirmation that the Chicago Cubs are a JoJo reference. <laughs> As oh, I wrote that in Courtney's face. Um, <laughs> one thing I don't think we touched upon, though, is with John Gallier and Jotaro mentioning, like we know that he was um, the, the reason behind Jolene's imprisonment, but one thing that was almost brought in as a minor detail but it's pretty significant is that he or Jotaro mentions that he is one of Dio's like fanatics and so that brings Dio back into the limelight of the Joestar saga after being pretty absent since part three obviously part five we find out that Jorno was a product of Jonathan and Dio somehow <laughs> Yeah, but, who actually is the dad is kind of up for debate yeah. in the community. But the moment that I found out that, you know, Dio is reintroduced here makes me think that is he going to like plan his third coming <laughs> into the his world? His third coffin in the ocean. <laughs> yeah, like what what coffin is out there now? Like we saw him disintegrate in the fucking Egypt desert Egyptian desert with the sun. But uh, like as we'll find out more throughout this part, especially with um, White Snake and his stand user, it just seems like there are pieces in place to kind of bring him back, almost like um, you know with Hydra in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, how they were kind of waiting in the shadows to sort of strike at the right moment. Again, I haven't read Part Six, uh, the manga, so I don't know what the outcome is going to be, but it's my assumption that Dio is going to manifest again by the end of this part. Um, Don't say it. No, I, no, no comment on that. No comment on that. I do want to just really quickly comment on what you said about the pacing. You bring up a good point. Something about this episode felt off and I didn't know what it was. And you're absolutely right. It is the pacing. Um, I think that it should have either been how do I describe this? Like the episode should have started with Jolene showing up to um, the visitation room and then mm -hmm. Jotaro's there. And then we get the rest of like their interactions or it should have ended with, you know, she goes to the, to the visitation room, Jotaro's introduced and then to be continued. I feel like sticking his introduction in the middle of the episode is very strange because you're, you're having such a huge tone shift between the first half and the second half that they feel extremely disjointed. But I also understand why they did that because the library scene and the whole money situation isn't enough content to warrant its own episode. Yeah, especially because episode two, that's so focused on the the fight between uh, Jolene and Guess. 
Because I was going to mention that they, they could have ended that episode with Jolene running into Emporio for the first time where he warns her not to go to the visitation. But again, adding that to the context of the fight between Guess and Jolene just wouldn't have made sense. Yeah, and cutting out the money, basically the whole first part of this episode is establishing that money is is what rules Green Dolphin Street. Like that's how you get by in Green Dolphin Street is through cash. And it, not to spoil anything, but in in the manga, it's made very clear throughout the story that cash plays a significant part in Jolene being able to do what she needs to do at Green Dolphin Street. So yeah, I think removing all of that for the sake of, you know, better pacing would have hindered the importance of that small plot device. Um, but again, I think that David production was just doing the best that they could with the time that they're allotted. So yes, unfortunately it is oddly paced, but not enough to make this a bad episode. It's still a fantastic episode. Yeah. Cause need I say it again? Daddy Jotaro is here. Let's fucking go. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. I can't wait to talk about the next few episodes. It's going to be a wild ride, but thank you everybody for joining us once again for our third episode in the stone ocean review series. And as we close out the year, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for an amazing 2021 um, and for all the support that you've shown both this podcast, Strictly JoJo, as well as our other podcast, Strictly Anime, we would not be here without you guys. We do it all for you guys. And why wouldn't we want to share our love of JoJo with the JoJo fam? You guys are awesome. Yeah, it was truly a bizarre year for us here at Strictly <laughs> JoJo uh, for 2021. But as Courtney mentioned, it, it's been great. And just the timing of everything this year with us wrapping up part two and then going straight into stone ocean it's it's been quite fateful i hate <laughs> i'm using all these jojo puns but yeah from the bottom of my heart thank you so much for for listening to us and supporting us um reviewing these episodes and discussing it w with everybody has been a treat and hopefully we'll have more great episodes in store for you for 2022. Yes, here's to a great 2022 where we continue to talk about Stone Ocean every single week. Ugh, it's a dream come true. But that wraps up episode 31 of Strictly JoJo. If you enjoyed the podcast and would like to support the show, then head over to patreon.com slash strictly series and subscribe on your favorite podcast service so you can be notified when new episodes premiere every Monday during the Stone Ocean Review series. Follow us on Instagram at The Strictly Series and on Twitter at Strictly Series and connect with us there or on our website, thestrictlyseries.com to share your thoughts on Judge's Bizarre Adventure as well as John Gallier's dumb truck ass. Ooh, he's thick. Ooh, he's thick. You'll also find more info on Strictly Anime, our other podcast for anime reviews and discussions. Thank you so much for listening and sharing our love of JoJo. Stay weeb, everyone. To be continued. And of course, my boy Daddy Jotaro is shot trying to save the prison guard overseeing the visitation. Why would you end the episode on a sheer heart attack of a cliff cliffhanger fucking... Hold on, hold on, hold on. <laughs>